uh, without trying to scare people to the point that they won't vote. You want to scare them to the point that they want to make sure that this system of how we vote and how we pick our leaders is the best system possible. I'm James Norton, former Homeland Security official in the George W. Bush administration. And I'm Dina Graziano, former Democratic Communications Director for the House Homeland Security and Judiciary Committees. And you're listening to Episode 2 of Homeland Homeroom. We're going to spend this episode talking election security. All kinds of new questions are being raised right now about how secure our election systems are. And a lot of people are worried about it. You know, we've obviously talked about Russia and things that happened in 2016. You know, Bob Mueller just came out the other day saying he's still worried about meddling in the 2018 election. And so a lot going on with election security. Yeah, it's a really scary time. I think we are um, losing faith in our election system and something needs to be done about it and done about it fast. Absolutely. And to discuss what we can expect with election security coming up, we're going to talk to our guest, a man I think that you know very well and I've had an opportunity to work with a little bit is a well-respected by Democrats and Republicans alike. And my favorite boss, Congressman Benny G. Thompson, who is a Democrat representing the 2nd District of Mississippi and has been in Congress since 1993. He also is the ranking member of the House Homeland Security Committee. And, you know, he might be the longest-serving member on that committee. I'm, I'm not sure, but he's got to be close to it. But, you know, right? So, right? so we sat down with Congressman Thompson to discuss what we can expect in terms of election security, looking forward to the 2018 midterms. And what else is going on with the committee? What else we can expect from them on their agenda this year? And he sure had a lot to say. (laughs) So we're thrilled to be here with Congressman Benny Thompson today. Thank you for joining us. Obviously, this is um, our first big interview with a member of Congress, and we're super excited to have you join us. One of the biggest issues we've been thinking about lately is election security, and obviously you have been a leader on that issue in Washington. So we thought we'd bring you here today and ask a couple questions about kind of what you think are the biggest issues facing the November elections, and especially with states getting all this money, how are they going to parse it out, and is it going to make a difference? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. To say that our systems of how we elect our officials diverse in that every state has their own system of election. There's no uniform machine that you use uh, or anything like that. One of the long-term goals of Homeland Security and declaring it critical infrastructure is to try to set some standards. And we've tried to incentivize states going to those standards by putting monies out and saying, Uh, This is not all the money needed, but it starts the process. So uh, we finally got beyond the notion of whether or not Russia had actually participated (laughs) in the last uh, election. Thank goodness. Uh, The CIA, FBI, NSA, every major intelligence gathering organization was saying to Congress, yes, They were. Now, to what extent were they successful uh, is another question. But we can guarantee you that mischief was being made around how we elect our officials. After we finally got enough traction, uh, this notion is, now what are you going to do about it? We've met with the secretaries of states, said to them, we need your help, we need your guidance, we need your instruction. 
And so it's been a slow process. Uh, but we move it. Uh, we tried to get a bipartisan uh, commission in Congress, Democrats, Republicans, to look at it and say, uh, America, your system of electing officials is at risk. Uh, you need to protect it. You need to make sure that uh, the leaders you pick are really the leaders uh, that you voted for and not somebody in Russia or Iran who jimmed the system so that uh, someone else other than uh, who was elected was elected. So we couldn't get there. Uh, we tried a number of times to get any Republican to step forward and say, you know, I've heard the briefings. I'm worried about whether or not our system of picking our leaders can and will be compromised. So let's look at it. Couldn't get there. So we convinced Leader Pelosi to look at uh, establishing a, a, a committee of uh, made up of Democrats, primarily those on House Administration and those on the Homeland Security Committee, which kind of uh, you would say would be the committees of jurisdiction. We held hearings. Uh, we brought witnesses in, Democrats, Republicans, uh, former Secretary of Homeland Security, people with the Election Assistance Commission, uh, Secretaries of State, everybody, because we wanted as much knowledge on the subject as possible uh, so that when we produced a report, it would be uh, uh, inclusive of that, that participation. So uh, we took it, uh, produced a report uh, that we were very proud of, and subsequently uh, uh, we generated some legislation. And uh, we have over 100 co-sponsors. Uh, Bipartisan? Uh, ah. No, 100 Democrats wow. on the committee uh, on it right now. Hmm. But you know, we can't get our Republican colleagues uh, to step forward. And I'll be honest with you, I think uh, they are frozen because of the White House and the White House's relationship to Russia. And I think because of that state of flux, my colleagues in the House are reluctant to sign on to something even though the evidence is clear. So on a scale of one to ten, your confidence level is uh, four? Well, <laughs> let, let, <laughs> that, I mean, look, we know 21 states was uh, in some form or another impacted by the Russians. There's, Irrefutable. But I can say that since we put the money up for the states to access, only 26 states have come forward and requested some money for help. And, you know, November is right around the corner. But does that go to what James said? And if, if you don't know what you don't know, I mean, if, if you're not an expert in IT and you don't understand cybersecurity, how do you even write a plan and know what to ask for if, if you don't even know what's vulnerable in your state? Well, that's right. And that's why we've offered 
free of charge to send the experts in to work with your people. Mm -hmm. They will produce a report and say, upon our review, here are some things that you need to work on. Now, mind you, a lot of what's at risk right now is tied to the internet. So the, 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 the compromises uh, could be more, at this point, of a mischief. So if Benny Thompson came to a precinct in an area uh, and they said, we don't have a Benny Thompson on the voter roll because our voting rolls are handled uh, through, through, through the internet. Mm -hmm. So now the question is, if I'm not on the voting roll, will I then try to figure out where I need to vote? Or is this just one of those mischief kind of things created to create havoc in the elections? So uh, that's potentially right now. Uh, and, and the people ask me all the time, can you guarantee uh, us that nothing will ever happen on our system of elections? Absolutely not. Right. Uh, because, you know, the Russians uh, uh, are very busy uh, trying to compromise not just our election systems, but our way of how we do business as a government. We can't pass a bill that would mandate every state to do X, Y, Z. Those secretaries of states would tell us, go to hell. <laughs> Say, you know, I got elected to run my system right. of elections in my state, mm -hmm. uh, but now if you're willing to help and, and make sure that, that we uh, conduct our elections uh, not just on a fair and impartial basis, but protected from intrusions and, and uh, without trying to just scare people to the point that they won't vote, you want to scare them to the point that they want to make sure that this system of how we vote and how we pick our leaders uh, is the best system possible. Mm -hmm. Because I'll be honest with you, uh, as a democracy, uh, I'm convinced that how we elect our officials is the best thing going. Mm -hmm. And that's where a billionaire and a homeless person can go into the voting booth, and they are absolutely the same. Mm -hmm. On the uh, on the idea of the elections, maybe just changing subjects, but not really that much. Any predictions for how you think it might go? A lot of people talk about a blue wave coming. Any sense of well, some of my friends who are not as astute on politics <laughs> will say, "Oh." It's not really who's in charge. It's just as long as you're in the room and participate in the debate. Wrong answer. Do they work here in Washington? No. Oh, they're, okay. they're, they're looking for them okay. uh, If you're in charge, you can dictate the tenor and tone of what takes place. Mm -hmm. And if we're genuinely interested in moving uh, election security and some other things forward, I'm convinced Democrats can do it best. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and I would have hoped that we could have done election security and other things on a bipartisan basis. But we couldn't get that because of 
of the climate that's created in the White House, this notion of denial and this notion that Putin is not as bad as we think. But I sit in these briefings, and that's not what I'm told. Mm -hmm. I think it's that misinformation that's tweeted from the White House really creates an impediment to getting meaningful bipartisan legislation passed here in Congress. Yeah. And, and when the news comes on uh, and I see the president, I have to send my 12-year-old out the room because I don't know what this fella's <laughs> going to say. <laughs> and, and so for whatever reason, that should not be uh, the words coming from the commander-in-chief to make fun of professional athletes because of who they are, where they came from, is not who we are, uh, to make fun of the disabled or those kind of things. Our value system as a country uh, is better. It's that same value system that leads me to saying that we need to make sure that how we pick our leaders, uh, that that system is as perfect as possible. And how about just, just another issue, and I know you, you were just talking about this today, was uh, is hurricane season. You know, here we are, another hurricane season, but yet there's still a lot of devastation from last year's you know, hurricane that we're still dealing with. Puerto Rico is still suffering, the islands are still suffering. Absolutely. How do you think we're doing, or how do you think the department's doing in terms of not only preparation for, for 2018, but in terms of trying to still mitigate some of the huge challenges uh, from last year? Well, last year was tough. Uh, the response to Texas and Florida was altogether different than Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Mind you, these are all Americans. Mm -hmm. So at best, the response should have been the same. Uh, we still have several thousand people in Puerto Rico without uh, electricity. Mm -hmm. So that means that uh, the 64 people that somehow people said uh, that pales in comparison to numbers produced by Harvard University and some other people, just simply because if I'm on dialysis and I don't have electricity, then right. I, I will die. Now, are you saying I died because I didn't get my dialysis or it's a byproduct of not having electricity. Right. And so while we're just trying to get the facts, this notion that supplies weren't there, that's not true. You would see the dock. And we had supplies all over the place. We were not moving them from the port uh, to where they needed to be. And so I would hope that with the beginning of this season, we can do better. Mm -hmm. I have not pre been presented with the evidence that it will be any better. Local officials are still asking for help as if the hurricane just occurred last week. And we are, or we should be a better country than that. Mm -hmm. and, and so it took us five months to get the FEMA director before our committee wow. to even answer any questions. Uh, you know, and I think that was because our Republican chairman and other things, it's, oh, they just so busy, and <laughs> said, but the light's still not on. 
I don't know if they that busy, what are they doing? <laughs> and just to give a sense, I mean, your, your district has suffered from hurricanes, your district has suffered from massive floods. I mean, can you just talk a little about recovery that's happened down there and how, how many years it really does take just to give people a sense? Well, uh, you know, you got stages. Mm -hmm. And I think the immediate stage is whether or not uh, you can get people out of harm's way and get them in some kind of housing and come back uh, from recovery. Uh, but the question of lights being on, food being available, streets being passable, those kind of things are just kind of given. Mm -hmm. But it takes years of development. Katrina has been over 10 years now, and uh, we're winding down some of the found programs in that. But the immediacy of the catastrophe should not be as if it was last week. Mm -hmm. And so much of what we're dealing with is just as if Hurricane Maria happened last week, and that should not be. Thank you so much for taking the time. We obviously know you're extremely busy, mm -hmm. <laughs> as the, the issues that you're dealing with have not gone away and aren't going away, and um, we look forward to uh, November. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, look. Uh, I do, too. I've been around a long time. Uh, I don't count my chickens until Never. they hatch. Not, and, not anymore. And, 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 <laughs> I shattered and, my crystal ball. <laughs> so uh, I think the people uh, uh, will make choices, but I want it to be the people to make the choices and not the Russians. No. Thank you. Thank you very much, Congressman. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. and you're listening to Homeland Homeroom, the podcast where we dive into the latest security news, talking to people who make the news and answer your questions about security. And I'm James Norton, former Homeland Security official in the George W. Bush administration. And I'm Dina Graziano, former Democratic Communications Director for the Homeland Security and Judiciary Committees. I mean, you know, I know we're going to have we're going to have other questions. And, and one of the things that um, the congressman had talked about in our interview was um, was about hurricanes and hurricane preparedness. And we're now into the, the hurricane season. You know, there's been a lot of reports about Hurricane Maria that we had the death count wrong and that it's probably actually in the thousands, not in the single digits. And, you know, they're still without power down there. You know, Texas and Florida, I think, are probably still in the recovery phase, not as bad as Puerto Rico, but still. You know, it's an American territory with, you know, citizens that are now scattered all over the, the U.S., similar to what happened in Katrina. We had thousands of, if not millions of people scattered all over the U.S. from, from Louisiana and other parts. Um, you know, I think you had an interesting perspective in terms of what more needs to be done. You know, we're not really there yet and FEMA responsibilities. I mean, do you think he was onto something there? I do. I, I think with Katrina, the the Hill was very focused on the breakdown from the, the highest levels mm -hmm. and what happened afterwards. There was a specific report that came out from Congress about how things were handled. Um, there were numerous hearings on the oversight of the department and how it responded um, from FEMA all the way up to the secretary. I don't see that same pressure mm -hmm. um, or that same oversight. Right on what happened in Puerto yeah, Rico. I mean, has there been a Maria hearing? No, I, think I, there's I, been a Maria I don't, hearing. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. And I think... Um, Which is shocking in itself, right? It's it's 
it's very sad. Yeah. Because it makes, I mean, obviously Puerto Rico is part of the United States. So right. it makes it look like that is not as important. With Katrina, you yep. had Congressman Benny Thompson, yep. whose district was directly impacted mm-hmm. in Mississippi, um, and other members from Louisiana yep. really pushing hard. I, I and, and I agree with you, and I feel like, um, you know, at the time, Republicans were in the majority. Peter King was the was a chairman. Susan Collins was a chairman. Tom Davis was a chairman. And they hammered the Bush administration on, on fail, failure to respond. Susan Collins' big report was yeah. failure to respond. Her and Joe Lieberman just absolutely didn't hold anything back, right? right. So I think you're right. It's fairly stunning ask, right the, now. Where's the report on, on Puerto Rico? Yeah. It needs to be under the same scrutiny as the response to Katrina. Right. And, you know, not just that day, but how we're dealing with recovery right. today. Right. Well, even I'd even go back to Hurricane Sandy where, you know, uh, Peter King, I'll, I'll bring him up again, where he was really in a fight against his own Republican colleagues because he couldn't get funding for Hurricane Sandy. Him and Marco Rubio, I think, were mud wrestling on the, on the, on the floor of the Congress there trying to get more money because conservatives were holding up, you know, funding to get to, to New Jersey and things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it's, it's kind of gotten ridiculous that we're politicizing, you know, some of these loss of life. Absolutely. You know, natural issues, disasters. Natural disasters, right. People mm-hmm. that are just happen to be in the path of something that's, mm-hmm. that's terrible. So, and what do you think? I mean, what, what, did you, what was your sense from him in terms of, you know, obviously uh, Democrats have been in the minority for a while. A lot of people are talking about a potential blue wave. Did you get the sense from him? I know he's kind of keeping his cards close a little bit, but you know him pretty well. Did you get the sense that he he thought that maybe, you know, there might be some some hope for them in, in 2018, at least with the House? I think he's always hopeful, but uh, Mr. Thompson is truly a member who doesn't count his chickens before they hatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a, a, a member who keeps his cards very close to his vests. Um, I think he remains hopeful and um, I'm sure is quietly thinking about what a chairmanship might look like yeah, so that, for him. So that's um, a great should point. Should he take the helm? Yeah, I mean, what do you think? I mean, what do you? That's I mean, that's a great point. And what do you think oversight from his perspective would look like? I mean, we, we I would I would imagine I, there'd be some pretty tough hearings. I think we'd have a Puerto Rico oversight hearing. Yeah, I think so that would be I, first out of the block. Or? I don't know if it would be first out of the block. Um, I think there's a lot of issues that require oversight when it comes to the Department of Homeland Security. Yep. Obviously, you know, he's always looked at staffing at the department. Mm-hmm. That's always been a challenge, even more of a challenge under this administration. Yep. Some yeah. bills and, and some serious oversight yeah. about what's going on at the department. Yeah, because so I think, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong because you were there, but I think after the Democrats took control in 2006, there was kind of a kind of a 9-11 bill, I think was like H.R. 1 for them, where they brought HR up- H.R. 1. right? Yeah. And they brought up all these kind of like gaps they felt mm-hmm. like hadn't been completed in the 9-11 commission mm-hmm. um, that they wanted to, to move forward and obviously pass. I think President Bush signed it. Do you think something like that, a similar election or, or, or security package, or do you think they come out with their own- kind of DACA proposal quickly to try to solve that issue? I think H.R. 1, um, that was a different time. And Mm -hmm. obviously it was based on, you know, the reports of the 9-11 Commission. And like you said, what was missing? Um, It was not an easy bill to get consensus on. But I also think there was a time to make a very large statement when Mm -hmm. it came to Homeland Security and, you know, post 9-11. Yeah. I don't think we'll see a massive bill like H.R. 1. I think those bills are very hard to come by now. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this, and you bring up a good point. I mean, um, I think in the congressman's last hearing, he talked about never having met the Homeland Security Secretary, and he seemed to be very disappointed about that. Um, and I think the Trump administration probably could do a little bit better in terms of its relationship with Democrats. Um, do you foresee, if for some reason Democrats take over, a switch in the Trump administration's attitude towards you know working with Democrats on the Hill, or do you think? They're going to kind of dig in, and it's going to just get a lot worse for them. Uh, I mean, this is obviously you got to bring your crystal ball out again, but I mean, what do you think? What do you think happens there? 
Um, I obviously think when you have a party in charge of the White House and you have a different party in charge of the Congress, yep. there tends to be a bit more um, flexibility. Mm-hmm. It doesn't benefit the country to just stonewall and not meet. But yep. The agenda is going to be the agenda yep. for the Congress, and it, it is going to be a Democratic agenda. That doesn't mean that it can't be bipartisan, Sure, but it also doesn't serve anyone to stonewall and not meet with members on critical security issues yep. um, just because they're of different parties. Right. I, I do know that, you know, I was there. Do you think there. there'll be any payback just in terms of maybe some things that maybe they're not happy about right now? Um, I don't think there'll be payback, but I definitely think there'll be a lot stricter oversight. And mm-hmm. I think some of the things that we've seen under the current administration and the current Congress will not be tolerated to the same degree as they are now. Yeah. And they will, they, and, and Mr. Thompson will hold their feet to the fire and will not let up until he gets answers because that's the kind of member he is. He's not easily swayed by political <laughs> BS. Yep. So. Yeah, I mean, I can remember in the Bush administration when Democrats took over and we still had two years left um, in office, convincing a lot of people on my side internally administration to say, hey, we need to go and work with Democrats and figure it out. And uh, it was hard. It was hard to try to get people to change their minds. I'm glad that I met you, you know, because you made it a lot easier. But I sometimes. think that, that was, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, I think we just have to, I think we have to be hopeful. And, and Mr. Thompson, and at least to speak to Homeland, is a, is a very fair member. And I think a lot of members really just want to get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be very interesting, but we still have a few days till November, a few months. We do, so, we do. We've got a little long ways to so go for I sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think um, we need to make sure that election system is secured. So now we, I think we want to get into some questions. We've heard from everyday folks outside the Beltway, and we're thinking about election security. So first, we're going to go to Kelly in Boston. Was Russia really trying to interfere in the 2016 presidential elections? How? And did it work? Well, Kelly, it appears so. I have no reason to dispute the findings of our intelligence community. All evidence seems to point to the Russians uh, trying to infiltrate through either the DNC or other systems. How is a really good question. Um, obviously, cybersecurity is is the issue at play there. When you say, did it work? I, I don't know. Yes, they were able to get through, but did it impact the actual results? Who's to say? Uh, well, we're going to leave that a little open-ended. <laughs> you know, I think that some would probably argue that the election was decided and that Hillary Clinton just ran a really bad campaign, and that's probably why she lost. But putting that aside for a second, <laughs> I know we can probably have a good back and forth on that. I think that one of the ways they, that the Russians were able to really infiltrate this election was really through manipulation, right? Using our social platforms. There was a hearing not too long ago with Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook talking about the platform being infiltrated through manipulation and running ads to kind of cause social unrest within the U.S., you know, kind of pit, take our own kind of voices and, and use them against ourselves and try to pit ourselves against each other, right? It seemed to be that was the a big tactic for them to try to to try to get us to uh, to create some infighting, you know, mistrust within the country. Um, and I think that the reality is we have adversaries, people who want to see the U.S., you know, not do well, and they're kind of taking advantage of these social media platforms. And they did, they obviously did that um, by exploiting information and exploiting people's emotional views on things. You know, part of trying to secure 2018 really is is these platforms stepping up and, and trying to play a role, take responsibility, if you will, in terms of kind of monitoring or managing their platform. Don't you think they 
they should do a little bit more of that? Oh, absolutely. I, I think and not only the platforms, but the states have a responsibility, too, to, to secure their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't just go to the election machine. It goes to how they're securing the voter rolls and the data that's important. Right. You know, what what are the what are we doing in the polling places to educate those poll workers right. to make sure um, they can, you know, Look, look for anomalies in either the systems or behaviors of people. It's not only a technological issue. It's actually a behavioral and personal issue and training issue. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a lot to do before November. A lot to do. Lot right? to We're do. only months away. Yes. Right Here we are once again, months mm-hmm. away from this, from another national election that's obviously going to have big impacts. And, and, and don't you think the states, um, you know, obviously the federal government and the DOD has been kind of running to catch up for the last say seven or eight years in terms of creating this kind of cyber ecosystem within the government and then kind of pushing that out to the private sector. The states, I feel like, weren't even really an issue until we just went through this 2016 election. Now it's like, oh, what should we do with the states? I mean, should we be building a better system, if you will, at the state level, helping them stand up their own operations, their own kind of CIOs, their own capabilities at that level? And But I think we can't just look at it as election security. It's cybersecurity in general. Mm -hmm. We're just looking specifically. I think people are focused on voting machines where they should be focused on securing data. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where um, states are becoming more mature. They are getting more money to spend on general cybersecurity technology. But cybersecurity is an evolving thing. It is not, you know, you buy a product and it's all finished. Mm -hmm. You have to continue to update because the attackers are always continuing to innovate in the way they attack the systems. Well, yeah. I mean, think about all the data that's at a state level, right? States have their own IRS. They have Mm -hmm. their own health systems. They have their own, you know, different uh, police systems, all these different things that they have. They've got tons of information at that level with probably little, little security, little training. I mean, the Office of Personnel Management, massive hack, biggest hack in federal government history. I mean, that really was a training issue, right? That was a phishing attack, fairly simplistic in, in what it was, but yet they were able to kind of take the crown jewels mm-hmm. of all these uh, cleared people and, and they went overseas. I mean, so. Agreed. But part of that problem is actually identifying what your crown jewels are. And that's been a, a challenge for states as well as the federal government. So let's let's hear another question. Let's go to Courtney in Houston. I've heard that one of the ways Russia tried to influence the 2016 election was by creating fake posts on social media. What does that have to do with affecting the outcome of the election? Courtney, that's a great question. I think we, we've tried to touch on that a little bit. And I think I think with social media also brings a lot of personal responsibility. And I think people really who are on you know Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever it might be, also need to have awareness that things that they're seeing, you know, may or may not be real. And I, and I I'm going to have to use the term fake news, you know, but I think that that's a worthy discussion in the sense of, you know, what's out there? What can you trust on your platform? People are self-selecting, you know, the type of information that they want to see. And, you know, it may or may not be true. You know, less than 60 percent of the people actually vote. You know, so a lot of these elections are still decided by, you know, less than mm-hmm. less than half. And I think that that's always a problem in terms of, you know, getting out to vote or we're always talking about new voters or Obama voters or Trump voters or, you know, people who haven't voted first time. That's really in the margins, right? It's usually like one or two percent of the people that actually make the difference or swing some of these elections. I mean, Wisconsin was a few thousand votes. You know, I think Pennsylvania, same thing. You could look back at some of the other elections and and say the same thing. So it does matter. It does. And I think it's going to be a concern this election because people are going to have the preconceived notion Mm -hmm. that their vote doesn't either count because of the popular vote that happened during Trump. Um, and that they're going to say, well, you know, who knows who's manipulating my vote anyway. I think we, we do have to deal with those issues. Do you think there's fallout. things that states could put out there to build confidence, like, hey, we've built redundancy into the system, we have a paper trail, or just kind of make those public service announcements to let people know that uh, 
I do. The votes will count. I do. Yeah. I think um, the states have a huge responsibility this election cycle. Um, not only have they been given some funding to address the problems within their systems, unfortunately not a lot of funding, but I do think um, they need to impress upon the people in their districts of what they've done and to help people feel at ease because just general chaos can change the direction of the voting. I mean, if people don't feel like it matters, then they're not going to come out. Um, I am hopeful that uh, there's a groundswell of people who are pretty angry right now. Mm-hmm. Um uh, maybe that's just because I live in the D.C. area yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I'm amongst angry people all the time yeah. um, that I, I I feel that people um, will come out. And I do think we're going to see I'm, – I'm hopeful that we're going to see a lot of young people. The groundswell of Bernie Sanders was something we had not seen in years, frankly, since Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, and the passion, um, whether you agreed with him or not, the passion behind that group of, of voters, you know, of all ages, obviously, um, I'm hoping that they all come out in the midterms. And, and cast their vote, you know, uh, one way or another, obviously. But I, I can't imagine they're going to vote for the Republican Party. Right, right. <laughs> Just well, saying. we'll see. Just we'll see. Saying. I guess we'll see. And I think, and I think to be fair, the Republican Party is has many different factions these days. And some could argue it's in the middle of a civil war, a multi-faction civil war, and it's really uh, uh, difficult to see this, the current state of the Republican Party where it is right now. I know there's some that you know see it different ways, but I think that. It's tough to get a message when you're when you're splintered the way it is right now, and you're not really sure where, where it's headed. So uh, difficult times, uh, for sure, within the within the GOP. But at the same time, I'd say Democrats haven't necessarily times gotten their message you know together okay. either. But uh, well, I'm going to say that's it for this episode of Homeland Homeroom. But we'll be back in two weeks talking about immigration. We'll be joined by in that episode by Heather Timmons, the White House correspondent for Courts. Let us know your questions about immigration processes and policies that affect your everyday life. From work to school to housing, you can email us at info at homelandhomeroom.com. Dina, thanks as always for podcasting. Thank you, James. You can follow us on Twitter at Homeland Pod, and please leave us a review on iTunes. Homeland Homeroom is produced by 90 West. Our producer is Emma Jean Weinstein, and we recorded the show at Monitor Studios in Washington, D.C. Looking forward to next time. Absolutely. I'm James Norton, former Homeland Security official in the George W. Bush administration and Patriots fan. <laughs> I'm nauseous. And, Dina, <laughs> and I'm Dina Graziano, former Democratic Communications Director for the House Homeland Security and Judiciary Committees and a Denver Broncos fan. Nobody's perfect.